It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a great weekend. I did. Back uh, with you. It's even better. Senator Roger Marshall will be with us today. He's uh, of Kansas. And Congressman uh, Burgess Owens, the outstanding Raider and Jet, has turned uh, rookie congressman, and he's doing a... Uh, a bang-up job. And we know one of the things we're going to be seeing today is on all week long, we're going to see the uh, President of the United States and his staff taking a bow by passing the $1.9 trillion rescue package, if you call it that. And we're going to see a lot of Republicans at the border because it is a crisis, no matter what people tell you from any side of the aisle. You should be concerned as an American, not as a partisan. So uh, we'll see Jill Biden in Burlington, New Jersey. Congratulations. Talking about the American Relief Plan. Kind of interesting. The first lady is the first one out. And now we know, too, that Joe Biden's going to sit down with George Stephanopoulos on Wednesday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The CDC is very well aware that data are accumulating, making it look more like three feet are okay under certain circumstances. I can assure you within a reasonable period of time, they will be giving guidelines according to the data that they have. He says nothing. It's like not preparing for an oral report, getting in front of the class, and think you're BSing the teacher. All things considered, COVID-19 from the rescue bill, we'll talk about it all. Uh, We'll talk about how that is going to resonate with the American people. Right now it's popular. Will that in the long run? Now we're forced to admit that six feet apart might really be three feet apart. And now facts are surfacing on restrictions showing Florida and California have almost identical outcomes in the COVID case rates, even though they've had vastly different restrictions statewide. So why are some states so slow to open back up? Number two. Calls for Governor Cuomo's resignation continue and new revelations about phone conversations by a Cuomo aide. Published reports say a top advisor, the governor's vaccine czar, may have crossed ethical lines in calls and lobbying local officials for support. Cuomo can't stay, but will he ever go? The Broadway bully sent out an ally to test loyalty among the ranks and made things a whole lot worse for the governor. Meanwhile, his staff has basically stopped showing up and 161 state lawmakers want him to resign. Wow. Number one. What the administration has inherited is a broken system at the border. The 11-year high uh, for crossings uh, without documentation of the border was in the middle of Trump's presidency. Joe Biden inherited a huge mess on immigration. You believe this? Trump's getting the blame for the Biden border bungle? Not kidding. As thousands upon thousands stream in illegally, we're determined we're under, we are undermanned with little or no facilities remaining. Why I believe America sees that as a bridge so far and how this might undo any success uh, President Trump may have had. So here's the thing. Uh, President uh, Biden may have had. So people want to focus on the rescue package. They want to talk about the uh, vaccines. That's fine. I think the president has done a good job trying to up the amount of vaccines putting in people's arms. I'm not convinced that President Trump wouldn't have done the same thing. He's already getting about a million a day. Now they're up getting close to three million. I'm all for it. Give credit to both. When you have a rescue package, he wants to pass it. So far, it's very popular. Why not? You give people free money. It's popular. Okay. 
But if you see what's happening at the border, don't tell me as an American you're not upset by it. Don't tell me that you're not sitting there if you're working class and saying these men, these men single men coming of, coming here at a pace that's stunning are not going to take a job and hurt my pay rate. So unaccompanied minors up 144% in one month. For adults, it's up 230% in one month. We now have in our custody 9,457 unaccompanied minors in HHS shelters. Almost 3,500 are stuck at Border Patrol stations. I've seen it. It is brutal. In the past, I haven't seen this one because because of the pandemic, air quotes, they won't let us. In Mexico, they are struggling to deal with the new wave of migrants expelled from the U.S., while even more are coming north hoping to cross. And without a remain in Mexico, they're letting them say, they're letting them go right in. So between the no remain in Mexico, halting part of Title 42, so that means that unaccompanied minors get to stay in the U.S., guess what's happening? These countries are coming by the thousands. And spring hits, it's going to get worse. Surprised to hear Democrats point the finger at Trump. Cut one. What the administration has inherited is a broken system at the border. The 11-year high uh, for crossings uh, without documentation of the border was in the middle of Trump's presidency. This idea that it's Joe Biden's election that has prompted more people to show up is belied by the actual facts. Joe Biden inherited a huge mess. On immigration. And what we are seeing today is the consequence of four years of dismantling every system in place to address this with humanity and compassion. Please don't tell me you believe that. The one thing is true. A couple of years ago, the numbers were extremely high. President Trump flew down there two or three times. He rotated out HAC directors. I was down there. He went to the Secretary of Defense. He told him, you help me build this wall. You go work with HHS to do it. I was there. I flew on the Defense Department's plane, uh, the Secretary of Defense at the time's plane, down there with the HHS secretary, and they were trying to solve the problem, and they did. Cut nine. Tom Homan, who is there advising the president and has advised Republicans and Democrats. They can't admit to the American people that they planned this crisis. When Joe Biden made those promises during the campaign of, of ending ICE detention, uh, ending Remain in Mexico program, uh, give amnesty and DACA and health care, oh. when you make those types of promises, you know they're going to come. So they can't go on national TV and say, we sold out America to win an election. Joe Biden can't say, I folded to the left to get votes and, and gave up the security of the border. I've never seen anybody wearing a Trump shirt coming across that border, but we've seen a lot of them wearing a Biden t-shirt, let me in. This is because of Joe Biden, his policies, period. Please tell me you understand that. Please tell me that you do not think that that is spin. That is Tom Homan flat out saying it. When's the last time somebody came, came across with a Trump shirt that said, let me in? He's the migrant president, that according to the president of Mexico, and he has not pushed back on that. Nobody has in the Biden administration. Real quick, I don't want to take too much time away from the senator from Kansas. He's coming up next, but I do want to go over Governor Cuomo's controversies. 161 New York state lawmakers have called on him to resign. Did you see that picture of him walking around aimlessly, holding the neck of a bottle, wearing a blanket, talking on the phone, wearing a blanket? What is he, homeless? He's got free housing. Go inside. Doesn't he have any sense of what's going on? So now... He's got his vaccine czar. There's some rich guy, buddy, Larry Schwartz, calling up county executives in New York to gauging their loyalty for his governor. Really? 
He is in charge of vaccines, and he's gauging the loyalty of these county executives. You know how they felt? They felt it was being held over their head. If you don't, if you're not loyal, maybe the vaccines will slow down a little bit. Now, the New York Post did an editorial. Among it, I'll take an excerpt. Uh, it is Andrew Cuomo's outrageous new low is a fresh reason why he needs to go now. It turns out his staff is not even showing up for the most part to work. His inner circle, whatever that was, is disappearing. He lost the faith of both New York senators, Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer, who, by the way, I didn't know this. I knew they didn't get along, but I hear they hate each other. He hates the mayor. The mayor came out real quick, and maybe we have that, and was asked about the nursing home situation. Everything that's going on, do you believe that he deliberately tried to cover up the nursing home deaths? Listen to this, cut 13. Do you believe that he and his administration deliberately tried to cover up the scale of nursing home deaths? I don't have a doubt in my mind. Uh, Everything was about his public image. Everything was about his political future. It was not about what people needed. And by the way, it was about campaign contributions. The nursing home industry, the, the big hospital systems, they gave him millions and millions of dollars. And he went easy on them. And he tried to cover up for everyone, not just him, but his donors. And, and I think the investigations are going to prove this, Margaret. This was a thoroughly corrupt situation. And he just needs to resign so we can actually turn the page. And he, this guy wants to run for governor. He is absolutely awful. And they hate each other. But in this case, it's kind of right for him to bring up donors and fundraisers. I mean, this guy's guilty of that, too. Uh, Senator Doctor, and who's a doctor, Roger Marshall will be next in Kansas. Then Congressman Burgess Owens. Uh, we'll, get, we'll unwind what's really happening at the border and more. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
This idea that it's Joe Biden's election that has prompted more people to show up is belied by the actual facts. Um, and there have actually also been some pretty significant changes that the Mexican government has made that has made it impossible in some cases to turn these kids around. So, uh, listen, this president inherited a mess from Donald Trump when it comes to immigration. He's trying to fix it in a humane way. Um, and my hope is that Congress will provide the resources to restart some of these programs in Central America that uh, provides less incentive for people to flee and come to the United States. Senator Chris Murphy, to be kind, is being disingenuous. It is totally the switch in administration. It is the message from the Biden people that's causing this surge at the border at unprecedented levels that is forcing single uh, unaccompanied minors. They get to stay under the Biden rules. No more remaining in Mexico under the Biden rules. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas was just at the border. Senator, do you want to weigh in on your colleague, Senator Murphy, blaming Donald Trump? Oh, we just lost him. Okay, we're going to get him right back in a second. And by the way, right after this, we get Congressman Burgess Owens. But I'm going to talk to both of them about this, but I'll move on to other things as well. But he just got back. Senator uh, Marshall wanted to come back with us because he went to the border. Senator uh, Cornyn went to the border. Congressman Cuellar lives at the border. That's where his district is, Democrat. So, Senator Marshall, I don't know if you had a chance to hear that soundbite. It's Senator Murphy blaming Trump for this problem. Brian, what a joke. Uh, the reason the Mexican government is not helping anymore, they quit. Guess when they quit? They quit helping the day Joe Biden was inaugurated. Uh, th- this is totally a result of, of the Biden policies, open borders uh, and amnesty. This has everything to do with the change at the White House. And, and Brian, let me just tell you, I, I'm a physician. I've been all over, the, all over the world doing mission trips. And I know a humanitarian crisis when I see one. This is a humanitarian crisis. This will soon look like a refugee camp all over again. This is the mess that Donald Trump inherited. We fixed it, and now it's coming back, uh, and it'll be triple the worst for a lot of reasons. So, Senator, I still have flashbacks from when I went to the border. I went to the border two times last year, two years ago, one with the Secretary of Defense, and then once just watching the surge. And I see that— now you have executives, people that haven't been out in the field in years, have to go out and pick up these migrants, these illegal immigrants that have come here. They come in and they just stand. They stand in place in tents because we have no place to put them. And the kids have to just stand as well. And we're not separating from their parents, but a lot of them don't even have parents or were brought there in so-called parents, but they're not any related to those kids. When do people realize that's not humanitarian to tell people if they come, they can stay? It, it, exactly, Brian. The, the policies of, of this president are actually inhumane. What he's done is he's empowered the cartel. So the cartel is now making more money smuggling kids and families and people across the border than they did from drugs. So, so, this is, so the cartel is profiting from this. And what, what happens in Central America is a family pays the cartel three $5,000 per child uh, to be taken to, to the United States. Now, if they don't die from starvation and from the heat index, which will be going up really high very soon, they're sexually abused. So a third, at least a third of the boys and girls, boys and girls, are being sexually abused by the cartel. And then a large number are being sold into, into some type of human sex slavery. Uh, so it's, it's much worse than people realize. In the 30 miles, I went up and down the river about 30 miles of it on a helicopter yesterday. We saw over 200 people that were crossing the border. 
And what the what the cartel does is they load up one particular spot with a bunch of family members, of families and children. So of course the border patrol rallies to that spot. Meanwhile, you know, 20 miles down the down the river, they're smuggling the dope across. So you know that's the national security issue. Um, you know, I could just go on and on and, and deja vu all over again. This is what you and I saw three years ago when the border patrol was basically becoming a, a nursemaid uh, right. and a mom to these folks, right? Do you remember Joe Biden said as president, when I make a mistake, I will tell you? He has an opportunity now. I made a mistake. By getting rid of the Donald Trump policies, I've created a tragedy at the border. That's your first step, admitting it's a crisis. What I find so disturbing is President Obama admitted it was a crisis. President Trump admitted it was a crisis. He does not, nor do those people. Listen to what the governor of Texas said, uh, Greg Abbott, yesterday, Cup 5. Texas has several Border Patrol sectors. In the Rio Grande Valley sector alone, all of last year, uh, they made 90,000 apprehensions. Already this year, in the first two and a half months of this year, they've made about 110,000 apprehensions, including in those apprehensions are 800 criminal aliens, criminal aliens who have previously been arrested and exported from the United States, 78 sex offenders and 62 gang members, which include MS-13 gangs. Bad. This is what this is the facts the state governors have to live with in New Mexico, Texas. California doesn't seem to matter. He doesn't really pay attention to anything over there. Uh, so and Arizona. So they're dealing with this, and it was totally correctable and preventable. Uh, Dr. Marshall, I want to get you another take, and that is another area of your expertise, this pandemic. We're finding out now so much. For example, remember we were told surfaces, hose down all your groceries, don't touch anything, wear gloves. Now we feel it doesn't, this doesn't transfer by uh, on services. Then we hear, don't wear a mask, now wear a mask because it is aerosol. Now, all of a sudden, we're hearing, you know that six feet apart? The Massachusetts does a study, and so, well, it looks like it could only be three feet apart. We don't really think you need to be six feet apart. Do you realize <laughs> what that does for schools? That allows classes to stay intact, kids to go full-time. What are they doing? Yeah, you know, Brian, you know, one of the things my dad could not stand was a hypocrite. Uh, if you were a drunk adulterer, fine and dandy, but don't be a hypocrite about it. And and this is what's, you know, the hypocrisy of it. We're only going to allow to be, have two of my four kids together, it sounds like, for the 4th of July. My parents who have been inoculated, vaccinated, aren't going to be able to come because Joe Biden and Fauci say it's not safe. Meanwhile, at the border, so at the border, what, what, what we are way underestimating the number. So 2,000 people are crossing that that 30 miles every day, 2,000 people are being caught. There's another 4,000 that are getting across the border undetected. Five to 25% of them have this virus. Five to 25%. And it's probably a mutant that's Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Different than what we have here. We don't know if our vaccine will work or not. And then what, do they, then what do they do with these people? They put them all in a dorm setting together. So if you didn't have the virus, you, get it. you soon will. I mean, how asinine is, is this? Could you, could you possibly do anything more stupid than what they're doing? I, I mean, 
as a doctor, I'm just pulling out my hair. I've been working since January the 26th of last year to get a vaccine. And now we've got the vaccine. We're going to have herd immunity in April or May. And they're just going to keep reinfecting us. And, and who knows what type of strain this is going to be. So, Brian, it's pretty frustrating as a health care But they keep wanting you locked down for no reason. Your parents should be able to come, obviously. And also Israel did a study because everyone's been vaccinated there. And you are... There's a 95% chance you do not carry the virus once vaccinated. So those people saying that just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you should go see your kids that aren't, that is just not bearing out in the so-called data. So thanks so much, Senator. Appreciate your expertise, and thanks for going down to the border and seeing for yourself. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for carrying this topic. America needs to know. Thank gotcha. You. Congressman Burgess Owens next. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Monday. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What the CDC wants to do is they want to accumulate data. And when the data shows that there is an ability to be three feet, they will act accordingly. They have clearly noted those data. They are in fact doing studies themselves. And when the data are just analyzed, and it's gonna be soon, and the CDC is very well aware that data are accumulating, making it look more like three feet are okay under certain circumstances. They're analyzing that, and I can assure you within a reasonable period of time, quite reasonable, they will be giving guidelines according to the data that they have. Take your time. It's only been a year. You're telling us they're six feet apart. Now the University of Massachusetts does a study, and it turns out it's three feet apart, and that would change everything in terms of people in the classroom. Anthony Fauci, when he poses that, says, well, let me just drive around in a circle and a circle until you forget what the question is. Listen. The way it works is the University of Massachusetts does a study, and then you make an announcement on that study, but in all his meetings, he does policy by interview. Cuomo does policy by press conference. We have to live with this stuff on a daily basis. Three and six feet means everything. Congressman Burgess Owens is with us at a Utah member of the Judiciary Committee, Homeland Security Education Committee. Congressman, am I the only one who gets driven nuts by Anthony Fauci's proclamations or lack of answers? Can't you see through this? Hey, Brian. Uh, Ashley, first of all, it's good talking to you again. Uh, it's, it's interesting, um, and I think we have to all step back and recognize this. You know, uh, Fauci is a man, uh, just like the rest of us. We all have an agenda. Uh, hopefully the agenda is for the good of our country. Uh, his agenda, obviously, uh, is one of, you hit it, uh, dictating, dictating policies by, by interviews. Uh, we now have presidents that are dictating policies by edicts and, and uh, executive orders. Uh, th- none of this, is, by the way, is the way we the people work. You know, we are all about getting out, taking risks, uh, dream, being, uh, uh, going after our big dreams, and then and then dealing with it as we find the solutions we need to have as we go along along, along the way. But uh, I, I think it's time for us to put uh, Fauci uh, where he belongs. 
he's a, he's another person, uh, one of many, and he's and his his view is not the is not is not the only one we should be looking at. It, particularly talking about open up an uh, economy, which he has no clue of how to do. So right, uh, at the, we're ready to move forward. Uh, no question about we that. We are, and, and the thing is, he never leads. He never. It's never his job to do the vaccine. Never his job to set uh, guidelines. It's never his job to gather data. It's his job to to get questions about it. And he drives around in a circle. And to me, he showed his true colors. And when he came out and said this, after President Trump had left, he hops on Rachel Maddow's show, who is the personification of a Democrat. That's what she is. I'm not criticizing her. That's what she is. Like Sean's a conservative host, Sean Hannity. No one thinks Sean's a liberal. But listen to this. I've been wanting to come on your show for months and months. You've been asking me to come on your show for months and months, and it's just gotten blocked. That's, I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. It just got blocked because they didn't like the way you handle things, and they didn't want me on there. I mean, it was so clear when we sent it down. Why would you want to go and make your Rachel Maddow show? Well, because I like her, and she's really good. It doesn't make any difference. Don't do it. I don't think you're going to see that now. I think you're going to see a lot of transparency. Wow. So, I mean, didn't he just show his colors there? Why are you dying to get on a show? You're an epidemiologist. What are you trying to... I mean, what are you doing? Why why does being on television matter? Yeah. Uh, He's a guy that's been... uh been a government employee employee for his entire life. Has uh, never understood what it is to to have to deal go out there and build a business, take risk. Uh, it, it's interesting. We we have a, a society, unfortunately, that, that I'm going to say the word infested by those who are on the left that truly do not understand the American people. And we're now seeing it in every single um, area of our of our society: the media, the military, uh, the, the bureaucrats in D.C. Yep. It is it is amazing that, that this is, has happened to where it is. And the good thing this is Brian we can finally start having contrast we can now see that there's a difference in the way the direction these guys want to take us and and the way that we the people have always loved from the past toward freedom opportunity jobs getting our kids to school getting ourselves vaccinated if we want to do that that's the American way taking risks moving forward in our, in, with our own decisions and now we see that there's a difference and we can really look at this difference and, and make a make that decision in the next two years of just which way we want to go as we go toward 2022. Congressman Burgess Owens with us. Congressman, I got to bring you to the fact that this relief package passed $1.9 trillion, and it was, you guys were willing to put up, I think this, those 10 senators were up at $700 billion even though $1 trillion is left unspent, but they chose not to negotiate but in the end, Democrats feel good about it because 70 percent of the American public is in support of this bill. How do Republicans message against that? Well, 70 percent are in support because 70 percent have not read. They don't understand what's going on here. Less than 9 percent is actually for COVID. The rest is bailing out themselves. Uh, you know, what's interesting about our times is we've always, our country's always been one in which every generation has been willing to sacrifice, have a vision, and really work to make sure the next generation is better off than they were. This is the first generation in which we're willing to put our kids in, 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 uh, in debt, unbelievable debt, to make sure our kids are, are, are impacted, are, the total generation, by not going to school, by, by having our kids not understand the power of the business owner. This is the first time, I think, and we have to understand that we've come here 
over over time that we do not have a vision as a nation. It's time for us to to wake up, to start having conversations, Democrats and independent and Republicans together, have conversations about those of us who love our nation and recognize that we're under attack by an ideology that does not love our country, the, our, our our vision for being a free country, and uh, and that and that way we have to. To, to make make decisions, get involved, just get engaged. But we have to do something that's different than than we have the last few decades, for sure. So you, when you put 1.9 trillion into the bloodstream, the fear is inflation because it doesn't back it, nothing to back it up. We haven't earned this money, and we just get no. more in debt. Larry Summers, who was Treasury Secretary for Barack Obama, president of Harvard, used to be, uh, said this: Cut 28. There's a real possibility that within the year. We're going to be dealing with the most serious incipient inflation problem that we have faced in the last 40 years. Why do people not care suddenly what Larry Summers says on the left? Well, because sometimes we have to feel the pain. Uh, that's what I think talk about contrast. Not only are we going to have inflation, now they're talking about making sure we have the, the biggest tax uh, tax plan in the last 30 years. Uh, you're now seeing people floating through the, through the, the borders, so we're going to start, going to start seeing more, more pressure on people not getting, being able to get jobs. Uh, no, we're going to have a, 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 an opportunity to contrast, and we're going to make it through this, though, Brian. Contrast is sometimes necessary for us to, to recognize that we're making mistakes. We have to re-change, change the way we're thinking about our, our future. And, and in the next few years, we're going to start to see that we had a lot of good things going in the last four years. The lowest unemployment in the history of our country for blacks, Hispanics, Asians across the board. Now we're going to see the other side. And for the first time, our country will have a chance in a while to have these conversations across the board, across the aisle, and say, you know, we don't want pain like this. We want to have a, a better future for our kids. And we're going to start voting in that direction. And the Democrats will lose because they're being led by the hard left at this point. And American people just are not, not into darkness, divisiveness, anger. And, and destruction. We're not into that. So we're going to go in, in a different direction. We just need to see contrast to get us there. Ron Klain is the chief of staff, and people want to know what's next. We knew this was coming. We want to know what's next. It's going to be infrastructure. Is it going to be H.R. 1? Cut 36. President uh, Biden served in the Senate a long time, and he believes uh, that if we could leave the filibuster in place, that's what he prefers. Filibuster is a Senate rule, and the first question is, do senators want to change that rule? Some do. We're going to see how that debate plays out over the next several weeks. Our focus, Medi, is on uh, producing progress on whatever rules the Senate put in place. And I do think we want to try to find some bipartisan support for some of these things and try to move them forward. The George Floyd Act is very important. We also need progress, as you said, on voting rights, whether that's the John Lewis Act, H.R. 1, some combination of the two, a lot of proposals coming over from the House. We're going to work closely with the Senate to see what we can do to start to move these proposals forward. H.R. 1 would basically nationalize elections. I cannot see a scenario where any Republican votes for that. And when it comes to uh, and when it comes to infrastructure, I think there might be a place for you guys to work together. It's just how you're going to pay for all of it. Well, that's the thing. Uh, we we have a flood of hard left um, uh, legislation. It, it's, it's 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 amazing, and I think part of it is it's overwhelming us. They're trying to overwhelm us with so much left stuff that we just forget where we, the direction we're heading into. Right now, we're fighting to to hold, make sure we hold on to our first, second, and third amendments. We're trying to hold on to make sure we we can hold on to the, the American dream. And end of the day, uh, we're now seeing our kids being uh, added this this debt of three uh, thirty trillion dollars. We're gonna see higher taxes. And, and I, I, I don't, first of all, I don't see this being part of my part 
person. And unfortunately, because of the debt we're having coming on now, there's going to be a really strong conversation about what we can do with infrastructure because at some point we have to pay for it. I mean, it's great to talk about this stuff, but it's tough to talk about infrastructure at this point when you just add another, what, uh, $2 trillion and then more coming with these tax the tax and, uh, uh, changes being made. So it's going to be, again, two years. We're going to have to really work through this process, hope that the the, uh, the court can slow down the process somewhat with some of the stuff being unconstitutional. But we do have a good team of conservative Republicans in place that are going to do our best to hold the fort and allow the people to catch up, understand what's going on, and in 2022 make the difference we need to make to, to move it back in the right direction. Well, uh, Congressman, just a quick question about you. You know, you went from uh, football to business, uh, now to co- politics. What's been the biggest adjustment for you? Do you do you know where to go? Do you know where these committees are? Do you know exactly how to do everything? <laughs> who, who runs you through stuff? Yeah. You know, we, we thank goodness I have a, a good team around me, and and uh, and I just we're just hustling. We're doing our best to, to make sure we catch up. Uh, but I'll say this: of all the things, of all the times to be in Congress, I am so thankful that I've been given this opportunity. Uh, there's a time when you can be on the sideline, and you you know how this how this goes. There's other times you have to get on the field and be part of the action. And I'm just thankful to be there to uh, to be able to to help articulate what's going on in our country, to help our country understand we're at the most important time of of saving our nation ever, and we all need to be engaged at every level, particularly at the, at the, the we the people level. Get engaged with, with your with your school boards, uh, with the business, small businesses. Let's make sure that we we the people speak strongly because now we cannot afford to sit back and let these guys continue to to to, to go in the direction they're going right now. Yeah, if you don't like the curriculum, get involved with the school board. You really can make an there impact there. Uh, and Here Congressman, lastly, Drew Brees retires. Is um, remember George Blanda was on. Your Raiders, I think, I don't know if you were there at the same time. He was 41 years old, and he was a kicker, and everyone couldn't yeah. believe it. Now you got this guy retired. Drew Brees at 42 could probably have played. Uh, you have Tom Brady playing at 43. Well, how is this? How is this happening? Well, I tip my hat. I retired at 32, and I couldn't understand how anybody played longer than 10 years. Seriously. No, I, I tip my hat. You have to have a love, love of the game. Uh, I, I respect what Drew's done. And I think most importantly, Drew represents the old school days where he's now going to be turning himself back into supporting his community. He's committed to, to New Orleans, and they, those fans should be, feel really proud to, to have him part of that. We need to make sure we're doing more of this as, as athletes, as those who are in the, in, the, in, the, in the public eye. Let's give people hope. Let's talk about what we can do, and let's roll up our sleeves, get to work, stop talking hypoth- hypothetical and, and theories. Let's get back to good old-fashioned work service and, and loving our country and giving people hope that, uh, that second chances is part of, of, our, of our nature, our DNA. All right, we get Bur- that done, we'll be okay. All right, Congressman Burgess Owens, thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan. Take All care, right. buddy. All right, one 408 7669 I know you've taken a lot of news over the weekend. You see what's happening at the border over the weekend, the rescue package, the ramifications, uh, the Governor Cuomo, all that on tap and more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Did you change your uh, your uh, how you viewed school after losing school for a while? 
Did you like it more when you went back? Yes, I did. And why? Well, actually, I don't. I don't think so. Actually, I don't think so. You don't like school. <laughs> I do like school. I, I don't get the questions you're asking. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, what? We don't uh, understand him. How about this? Yeah. So that was uh, so my shoot on Friday. But I had to miss the radio show is to talk to Cardinal Dolan. And he went down and met me at a school in, in Manhattan in New York because they're all open. They got diocese opened up all their schools. I want to find how they did it, why these kids are safe. There's no positive tests virtually. So I was talking to all kids. You never know what a kid's going to say. Right. I would imagine they are the hardest ones to interview. Right. He was in fourth grade. This kid was a brilliant musician. He played the piano for the Cardinal. And he just basically looked at me like, I don't know how to ask a question. That was fantastic. It really right. was. We have an, another one for at another point in the show, not right now, because he still needs to do some tweaks. But um, another great interaction of, with uh, you and a kindergartner. Right. It's very interesting. Yes. But it was fascinating just to see a school that's determined to open. Why? Free market, number one. If they close, why would someone continue to spend $5,000 for a school that was barely getting by? 5000 for a primary schooler. And then when you get to 7th uh, through 12th, you pay ten. And why are you going to charge that if your kids aren't in school? What they did is they opened, and they figured out a way. Parents, everybody's in it together. Every school is open. 200 schools are open. And do what they also found, fascinating, show you what the free market does. They have found across the country a public school was 95% more likely to open if there was a Catholic school in close proximity because they knew they're losing all their kids, and they make all the teachers look bad, and all the superintendents and principals look bad if the Catholic school is open, and the other school isn't open. I can, and I know it's changed from state to state, but I would imagine if they lose a certain percentage of kids, I mean, the funding that you get as a school relates to how many yeah. kids you have. And he did say, uh, Cardinal Dolan said, you know what, Senator Schumer has been treating us good. Because what happens is when they give this money for schools, a lot of these governors go, yeah, I'm not going to give it to the private schools. I'm going to give it to the public sector. Why? Because the public sector has the union votes and they got the organization, the PTAs, to say, look, my politician gave this to me. Maybe the Catholic school don't have the juice. They don't have the numbers, so to speak. And keep in mind, too, you don't have to be Catholic. They don't, he goes, we don't check baptismal uh, uh, certificates. So it doesn't matter what you are. So 60 to 70 percent are minority. Number two is uh, only about, I think, just under 50% are Catholic. So it used to be a very Irish school. Now it's a very Hispanic school. It doesn't matter. And they are very pro-American or traditional when it comes to teaching history. And the be- uh, Cardinal Dolan had the best line. And it is, I said, well, Cardinal Dolan, what do you say to people who say, now it's time to look back and see some of our founding fathers had slaves. I don't think they should be held up and put on statues and held up as, uh, as iconic figures, figures. And he paused and he said, well, let me see. Uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. Uh, he ends up a saint. So I don't think people are looked up to because they're perfect. I think they're looked up to what they represent in this uh, country, what they represent. And he's big into the free market. For, a, for, a, for somebody who takes a vow of poverty, and you'll see it in the interview when we play the unedited interview at a different time uh, in the show, and we'll probably post it online. He is big into the free market. He thinks there's, uh, you could, within the Christian principles and axioms, and between the Psalms, the singing, the, the standing, and the kneeling, there is go out and make a living for yourself. Uh, nothing wrong with becoming wealthy and then spreading that around. You're right. He was saying, too, how you don't need to be Catholic, right? And so many of the parents love the idea of service in schools. 
yeah. and what's teaching the kids. One, one thing, the other thing he told me about the school, he said, well, this, these rooms need to be painted. The parents were up there painting at 4 o'clock. And he said, we found that we'll never make it free because we found that people, if they have skin in the game, my words, not his, uh, if they have skin in the game, they're more likely to take personal responsibility for the schooling itself. So if it's free, they take it for granted. If they're paying even a little bit, even if they have a lot, they still feel as though they got to come in. They got to participate. We got to add a sport. We got to add an activity. We got to convert a classroom. We got to build a wing. We got to refurbish, change the, uh, change the air system. We're in it together. And sure enough, there's a contractor amongst them. There's a painter amongst them. There's a financial person amongst them, and they all use their expertise for a common purpose. That's why this school is so close, and a lot of them only exist because of alumni. They don't bat donor back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Hope you had a sensational weekend. So glad you're starting your week with us. We're going to be joined by Jonathan Swan, one of the finest reporters in Washington of Axios. And uh, Michael Goodwin is standing by. He's going to bring us inside this scandal, which is uh, uh, ringing around the career of Governor Cuomo, who has absolutely no friends for a great reason. Not a good person. And now it looks like he's a terrible governor, even worse than we thought. Uh, we'll discuss it, where this is going, where this is heading, why Joe Biden gutlessly refuses to comment, along with the Speaker of the House. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The CDC is very well aware that data are accumulating, making it look more like three feet are okay under certain circumstances. I can assure you within a reasonable period of time, they will be giving guidelines according to the data that they have. All things COVID-19 will be coming your way, third and almost foremost. The rescue bill we'll look at. We're going to talk about the new rules that maybe we'll have to be three feet apart, which would change the opening schedule of all schools in the entire country and everything you do from concerts on down to theaters and gyms. My goodness, Anthony Fauci, as usual, when asked about it, even though the study is complete, is thinking about it. We'll get back to you shortly. This guy is a total fraud. Number two. Calls for Governor Cuomo's resignation continue and new revelations about phone conversations by a Cuomo aide. The published reports say a top advisor the governor's vaccine czar may have crossed ethical lines in calls and lobbying local officials for support. Cuomo can't stay, can't stay, but how will he go? The Broadway bully sent out an ally to test loyalty among the ranks and made things a whole lot worse for the governor. Meanwhile, his staff has basically stopped showing up for work and 161 state lawmakers demand he resign. Number one. What the administration has inherited is a broken system at the border. The 11-year high. Uh, for crossings uh, without documentation of the border was in the middle of Trump's presidency. Joe Biden inherited a huge mess on immigration. Is he, are they kidding? Trump's getting the blame for Biden's border bungle? I'm not kidding. Thousands upon thousands are streaming in illegally. We are undermanned with little or no facilities remaining. And it's Donald Trump's fault? 
Michael Goodwin joins us now at the New York Post. He also worked for the New York Times Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, you've seen it all. I mean, President Trump did some controversial things. The border, he tackled it. It wasn't going well, but he kept trying to solve the problem. I think he turned over a solid border. It's the Biden policies that blew it up. Don't you agree? I do, Brian. Uh, when you think back uh, to the early years of, of President Trump's uh, dealings with the border, he, you know, he had an idea. He wanted to stop illegal immigration, but he didn't know how. I mean, he talked about the wall, but he was slow to get the wall. I think uh, Paul Ryan in the House was not really uh, interested so much in the wall. Uh, so immigration sort of slid backwards until you had these caravan surges in 18 and 19. And then the president really found, I think, uh, his sea legs on this issue. He got he started really pushing on wall construction and he made these agreements with Mexico and other uh, Central American countries that to stop the immigration, because this this was not good for those countries either, that, say, from deep in Central America, they would come north and go through Guatemala, go through Mexico. And, and so it was a problem for those countries. And so the agreement that, that you could not enter the United States while your asylum application was being adjudicated is what sort of kept that's what strengthened the border so that there was no reason to come here because you were going to end up sitting in a tent camp in Mexico at the border you were not going to get in that is what Biden inherited and what he did was break that he broke the agreement with Mexico canceled it uh, basically said in word and deed come on up come on in and they did and the cartels took advantage of this and so all of these poor people now have feel like they've been invited and they were it's not they didn't misread it biden made this enormous mistake and to cancel the remain in mexico agreement i think is the heart of it you can you can argue about the wall which i think is important but you can have other measures in addition to a wall. But you cannot have an arrangement whereby everybody who makes it to Mexico to the border with the United States is going to be able to come into the United States. And don't forget, these asylum applications, 90 or 85 to 90 percent of them will be rejected because they, they are not being persecuted on religious. And, Michael, guess what? The Mexicans are complaining. Else. We're sending them back streaming back their directions, the one that are rejected, even though we can't get to all of them. So the Remain in Mexico policy is blown up. We know that Arbador really liked President Trump. I think he was the last world leader to recognize Joe Biden as the winner. So Joe Biden says, listen, I'm going to get rid of the Remain in Mexico policy. So that's fine with me. Goodbye, Marines at the southern border. And there's not been any diplomatic effort to the triangle countries. This is all inexcusable. I want you to hear what Senator Chris Murphy had the audacity to say yesterday. Cut 10. This idea that it's Joe Biden's election that has prompted more people to show up is belied by the actual facts. Um, and there have actually also been some pretty significant changes that the Mexican government has made that has made it impossible in some cases to turn these kids around. So, uh, listen, this president inherited a mess. He's just not telling the truth and he knows better. Yeah, that's that's the Democratic talking point that uh, don't blame Biden, blame Trump. Uh, that's going to be their talking point for everything. 
Uh, don't blame, you know, the economy. Don't blame Biden. Vaccinations. Don't blame Biden. Blame Trump. I mean, that's what the Democrats did for four years. And why should they give it up now? I mean, the media swallows it in most ca- most cases and repeats it. So why stop now? But it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to see the truth here. That's a lie. The, the border was fixed. It was better. Uh, and Biden has made it worse. So I want you to hear the big story is Governor Cuomo, the most high-profile governor in the country. The other one, number two, is being recalled, it looks like, in Gavin Newsom. And now you could not be in more trouble and still be in office than Governor Cuomo now has 116 New York state lawmakers calling for him to resign. And a mayor, and they hate each other, said this, not only about the sexual allegations, but about the nursing homes. Cut 12. I think he'll try to hold out, Margaret. Uh, I think he is used to getting things his way, and and it's been almost an imperial governorship. But I got to tell you, uh, the folks in this state and the political leadership don't believe him anymore. He doesn't have any credibility. So I think an impeachment proceeding will begin, and I think he will be impeached. And perhaps right before that, he'll decide to resign. That's Do you believe that he and his administration deliberately tried to cover up the scale of nursing home deaths? I don't have a doubt in my mind. Uh, Everything was about his public image. Everything was about his political future. It was not about what people needed. And by the way, Michael, what's your your reaction to that? Is this one time you agree with de Blasio? Well, I I do agree. But, you know, Brian, there's another element to this, too, which uh, de Blasio has not been asked about, to to my knowledge. But while the nursing home deaths were taking place, many of them were in New York City. De Blasio did not utter a peep then. No. He he has never spoken up, not just on hiding Godless. the data, but on the policy that led to the deaths in the first place. So de Blasio, look, he's jumping on Cuomo now, and I don't blame him. Uh, there's a lot of bad blood, and he's got to be enjoying this, that Cuomo is down. He's going to kick him as often as he can. But de Blasio had nothing to do, uh, nothing to say when it might have mattered more when it comes to the nursing homes. And now— they're starting to loosen up restrictions. Guess why? He wants to win people over. How dare he? I thought there was some type of method to the madness, and it is madness, between the quarantine coming off flights and the 25% and only no eating outdoors. Now he's starting to let up. Goodbye quarantine. Uh, let's, uh, expand the, let's expand the uh, amount 50% now in, in, in restaurants. So he thinks he's doing this to win people over. How This shows you this is all a power play. Well, yes, I agree with you. I mean, I I actually made a joke about it uh, not long ago, but now the pattern is beyond joking. It's obvious. Every time a new accuser comes forward, he lifts the restrictions somewhere. Uh, It's almost like, don't look over there, look over here. Look at the good things I'm doing. Aren't you happy? Oh, we're all turning the corner. Things are getting better. But, you know, Brian, I think his true colors were revealed. Uh, The New York Times and others, uh, including the Post today, have a story on uh, his, the, the person running the vaccine rollout, somebody he brought back, an, an old Larry crony Schwartz. friend, uh, Larry Schwartz, uh, who is uh, a volunteer. So that means he has avoided some ethics issues. But anyway, Schwartz uh, is in charge of distributing the vaccines that the 
federal government provides, it comes to the states, and then the states dole it out to the counties. And so there are, I think, 62 counties in New York. Uh, and so Schwartz started calling around the Democratic county executives who are all independently elected. Schwartz started calling some of the Democrats and basically uh, suggesting, you know, maybe you should not call for the governor to resign. Oh, how are your vaccines going? Do you have enough? And so he, of course, was careful not to link the two in the same sentence. But the mere fact that he was the one calling was, it was an implied threat that if you speak against the governor, you may not get as many vaccines. So think about that. Of all the things we've heard about Andrew Cuomo, that could be the most destructive because it shows him willing to let people die if they didn't support him. I mean, that is the ultimate understanding of what the vaccines mean. They are lifesavers. And if you're going to even talk about withholding them in exchange for political support, that is awful. That is just god awful. And I hope this, too, uh, one of the county executives who got that call filed a complaint with the attorney general. So that that could be something that gets looked at onto itself because it is it is beyond shameful. But that's the Andrew Cuomo we all know. Got a source with me right now uh, that was able to text me and say they're, they're in and around the governor and he's on Long Island at vaccine sites. They could not get a single politician to show up to show support for him. Lastly, real quick, um, it's going to hurt the next segment, but I got to play it for you. Eric Wemple, he is a critic on Washington, the Washington Post, usually a, a column to avoid, said this on CNN about CNN. Cut 17. But I would be remiss, Brian, if I didn't mention CNN's own huge media story here with Chris Cuomo, uh, the anchor at the 9 o'clock hour, who covered Andrew Cuomo and had all these wonderful love interviews with him, more than 10 of them. And they suspended the conflict of interest rule for Chris Cuomo for those interviews Yet all of a sudden they've enforced it again now that Andrew Cuomo is in the midst of an historic scandal in the Albany State House. So I think that that is a major black eye for CNN. Um, I will say that you and other people have covered the Cuomo story very aggressively. So I, I do want to be fair about this, but it is a major black eye for this network. On the network, he said that, and he's 100 percent right. Yeah, look, I mean, it it was shameful. And, you know, Brian, I think there's a there's a cautionary tale there for all of us as journalists that when the wave is moving and the tendency is to ride it, to jump on it, to to go with the flow, to be with the pack, you know, that's the worst kind of journalism. And then to bring in another metaphor, as Warren Buffett once said, when the tide goes out, you can see who was skinny dipping. Well, I think that's what happened to a lot of journalists. They were riding that wave when Andrew Cuomo was supposedly popular. But when the tide went out, you can see those who did not uh, follow uh, good journalism practices, but instead just jumped on the bandwagon, to mix another metaphor. But I think that it is, it is something we all have to be aware of. Do your own thinking. Don't just follow the pack. Don't just jump on the bus and be like everybody else. That's, what, that's one of the big problems of journalism today. Uh, everybody follows somebody else and nobody, you know, independent reporting, uh, your own reporting, it should be your 
your own guide, not what somebody else is reporting. I hear you. Michael, a lot to write about, um, and you always do it comprehensively. Uh, with this Governor Cuomo thing, is, is very fast-moving, but I expect him to stay till the absolute end. He's got nowhere to go. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thank you so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Uh, hey, your calls are next, one 408 7669 You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian, she was the one who, when you were outside with the Cardinal, writing her name on the chalk. What did the Cardinal say to you? I forgot. (laughs) Because did he tell you to write your name? So what did the Cardinal say to you? Um, I forgot. Okay. (laughs) Did he tell you to write your name? Mm -hmm. All right. What did the Cardinal say to you? I forgot. (laughs) Yeah. No, he told you to write your name. So when I ask you, you could say he told you to write your name, and then would you, were you nervous? Okay. When the cardinal went up to you, what did you what did you say to him, and what did he say to you? Um, I said welcome to kindergarten, and he said to write my name. And what did you do? I did. And what was that like? Fun. Awesome. That's great. So that was Chloe. That was when my I went to, to a K through twelve school and ca, uh, Chloe is in kindergarten or first grade, and Chloe was sitting on her uh, on the ground in the street drawing, and the cardinal walked up to her and he says, "Is that your name, Chloe?" He goes, "Can you spell my name?" He goes, "What's my name, Tim?" And she goes, "T I M." She spelled it, and then every time I asked her, she forgot. When I told her the answer, which she did, she kept repeating it. To be fair to Chloe, it's two different parts of the shoot, so it wasn't right after that you were out. She was outside for what recess, right? And then what was it, an hour later, you're yes. asking her? Yeah, it was. But then we kept reminding her what happened. I know. And she's like, oh, yeah, I remember. She was I adorable. Know. Fantastic. Uh, Scott listening on Coil in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Scott. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? So I, my wife is a teacher here in Omaha, and she, she actually teaches at a private Lutheran school. They've been open since day one in August. Um, and there's others, other private schools here in Omaha that have been open. They want my, my, uh, two of my kids asked to go to a different preschool, uh, and another school. And they've, they've had, they've been in class and session the whole entire year. Um, and how so, many positive tests, how many kids have gone home? How, how's it going? So, so at my wife's school, they've only had, they had, they've been, this, this past semester has been great. The first semester they had like two or three cases. But it was because um, it was like relatives um, of students that got COVID, and so they quarantined. Yep. Um, anything, any, we had like one student that actually tested positive, but they got it from outside of the school. Um, but otherwise, everything's been great with the with the school this whole entire school year. It's, I mean, other than you know wearing masks um, every day and and having uh, protective equipment like. Um, uh, barriers uh, at the desk and things like that. They're taking precautions. You would think it's a normal school year. Scott, that's great. And you, your uh, wife gets a lot of credit for going in there and then showing everybody that it can be done and it can be done safely. And it's still a lot of times people uh, elect to stay home, right, and still do the laptop hybrid thing? They, they've been, the, as far as the private schools, they, they've, been, they've been in school the whole entire time. And they don't even um, offer a hybrid. 
Nope, we don't even do wow. we don't even do hybrid at all. Wow, yep. that's great. Uh, the school I covered did offer the hybrid, and there was about three or four kids per class. They would, uh, would choose to do that, but it's so uh, uh, that's so great that you were able to get everybody back, and you're paying for it. And you'll stop paying for it if you don't come back. And I think that's key. Free market. Thanks so much for the call. I'm going to get back to your calls in 15 minutes. But next, Jonathan Swan of Axios. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you think Governor Andrew Cuomo should resign? I think the investigation is underway and we should see what it brings us. So why is Joe Biden standing strong? Well, number one, Governor uh, Governor. Cuomo is a Democrat. Joe Biden is a Democrat. So you would think that he'd stand up. The other thing is Tara Reid is in governor is in Joe Biden's background. Tara Reid is an accuser. They never went anywhere because the media wasn't curious about it. Uh, we were. We asked questions. Tara Reid's been on, but that story went nowhere. If you start condemning Governor Cuomo, this comes up again. And Tara Reid has weighed in on that. But plus, there's a link between the families. That was chronicled in Axios. Jonathan Swan joins us now. Uh, might be the most prestigious reporter. He certainly gets paid the most on Axios' staff. Jonathan, can you confirm how much you get paid? Do you get paid more than anybody Mate, else on that it, staff? It, it, it's like forty million bucks a year. It's it's crazy, man. Axios, we're just like printing money. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really wild, right? I'm, like, I, eat, eat your heart out, Sean Hannity. <laughs> absolutely. So, listen, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I never got anybody to admit their salary before, but I feel fine. I feel like Jonathan Swan. Um, an investigative <laughs> reporter getting answers. So tell everybody about the, the, the links between the families, the Bidens and the Cuomos. So this goes back a long way. It's not just um, Andrew. It's his father, Mario Cuomo. And this is part of the sort of complication that Joe Biden has right now. You've got to understand, Andrew Cuomo doesn't have many friends in Democratic politics. There's a lot of people who fear him, right, who, who are afraid to speak out. He basically governed by fear. For example, Chuck Schumer, the, de- the Democratic Senate leader, he came out and called for Cuomo's resignation. These two men are not the best of friends, to put it mildly. There is a lot of bad blood between them over the years. So for, for, for Schumer to do that, firstly, it's, not, it doesn't, it's no real skin off his nose, and also it's not going to have a huge effect on Andrew. Joe Biden has a long-running relationship with the Cuomos, and actually – they like each other. There's a, there's a friendship there, and it goes back many years. The other complication is Biden's probably the one person in the Democratic Party who, if he did call for Cuomo's resignation, it would actually have the potential to push him over the edge because Cuomo respects him. Biden's got so much juice in the party right now. So for Biden to stay silent, it's really increasingly conspicuous and um, – in some ways, is one of the the things protecting Cuomo at this point. So, say with Nancy Pelosi, maybe she uh, she actually was weighed in on this too yesterday. Cut fourteen. I said there's zero tom- uh, tolerance for 
sexual harassment, and we have taken measures uh, in the House of Representatives, very strong measures in the House under leadership of Congresswoman Jackie Speer uh, of California. Uh, the, uh, what I said at the time that these uh, revelations came forward, I said uh, the, the, what these women have said uh, must be treated with respect. They are credible and serious charges. And then I called for a, uh, an investigation. You expect them both to sit on the sideline, Jonathan? It's becoming increasingly unsustainable. And, and the other challenge is it's not just these aren't like allegations from, you know, when Cuomo was a teenager or something. These are contemporaneous allegations from people on staff and they're coming out. Look, the challenge for Cuomo is he doesn't know what's coming next. Uh, it, it's a drip, 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 drip. And it's becoming more and more uncomfortable. They're having pretty uncomfortable conversations inside the White House about this right now. So. I don't get the sense that, that Biden or Pelosi are fixed in their positions. And if there's another torrent of allegations, it might just tip them over the edge. Cuomo's in a terrible political position. I mean, it, it, it looks like there may be enough votes to impeach him, ultimately. He's really lost the confidence of his state Democratic colleagues. And when these investigations wrap up, it's going to be huge questions about whether he gets impeached, whether he, you know, just under that pressure preemptively resigns, you know, his future is not looking bright, to put it mildly. Remember, he told Kavanaugh, take a lie detector test while we wait to see if you remember something from high school. So that's a problem. And number two is he went after Eric Snyderman, the AG, after a newspaper article, he called for his ouster and the guy was ousted. Yeah, there's not a huge amount of uh, uh, intellectual sort of uh, integrity going on here. So, uh, Jonathan, tell me about the difference, which you've noticed so far between the Trump uh, for for Jonathan Swan and you as a reporter, the Trump access and the Biden access. Well, I've only just started covering Biden, so um, it's 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 challenging. I don't have the history there. I don't. I, I mean, remember, I spent the last five years covering Trump, and really by the end, I started in the campaign in '15, and really by the end of it, kind of knew everyone. And it's a slow, grinding process of like getting to know people. I'm like at the bottom of the mountain, just kind of scrapping away. Obviously, Biden himself, uh, throughout the campaign and now, is not giving uh, press act much press access. He's not. He hasn't done a single press conference yet. But I'm less. Uh, you know, OK, fine. He'll do a press conference at some point, as I said, before the end of the month. But, you know, we sh- it shouldn't be like a confetti parade when that happens. <laughs> what I really huh. want to see is some one on one interviews where you can actually ask follow up questions and really just do some serious uh, news interviews that I think are where uh, as a public service, you get much more valuable information out of them than you do when you know the press, the press conference is easy. You stand up on stage, you control the platform, you can. You can basically deny reporters the opportunity to do follow-up. So I'm all for them, to be clear. I think you should do them every week. But, you know, I don't think we need to fire off the confetti guns uh, when he does his first press conference. So a couple of things. Do you think he's making, from what you could tell, is he calling the shots? I have no reason to think he's not. I mean, like... I, again, like I, I'm really, I, I'm not, I'm not being sort of cute or humble when I say I'm, I'm really sort of starting to understand how this White House works and, and getting through it. I don't have any sense that he's not calling the shots. But you've got to remember, like they haven't, there hasn't been a ton of shots fired so far. There's been one enormous stimulus package that was largely cooked up. You know, presidents don't 
or you know, you know, think about the the wave of executive orders that he he pumped out in the first stage. It wouldn't really be normal for a president to sort of sit down and draft all of these orders. He's obviously got teams that have been working in them on them for six months. Um, I think he you know broadly laid out his agenda, and Ron Klain is the sort of strategist in there who is thinking through legislative strategy, timing, you know, big picture, and some of the big questions that we're thinking about, like. How hard do they push on um, on Senate Democrats to get rid of the filibuster? Questions like that. You know, there's always the unexpected. We knew there were going to be a pandemic still going on. The goal would be to get the vaccine out. We understood that and get and pass this package, which only a, a small percentage of part has direct relationship with the pandemic. But what's happening at the southern border, predictable if you're looking at it, but maybe not something they were expecting. Senator John Cornyn was just there as they see the numbers just uh, go astronomically, exponentially up on illegals crossing the border, many of which are unaccompanied minors to the tune of almost almost 10,000. Listen to what Senator John Cornyn said. Cut eight. It is a crisis. When a similar surge happened a, a few years ago, President Obama himself called it a humanitarian crisis. And as I suggested, this is going to get nothing but worse as the spring comes. So how can long, much longer can they go without calling it a crisis while they uh, mobilize FEMA, which is defined as an organization there to handle a crisis? The thing I, I don't understand is how they didn't – it seems like they hadn't really thought this through. For, for, for an operation that, frankly, is pretty uh, disciplined and organised, they did – you know, this was, you said it, foreseeable. It is. It was foreseeable. Biden had different rhetoric from Trump. It was very welcoming. We're going to, you know, welcome immigrants in and whatever. And he also changed policy, really important policy. Title 42, they stopped enforcing uh, the, the public health measure that would allow them to turn away unaccompanied children. So that creates a draw and you have people smugglers taking advantage of it and you have this increasing flow of unaccompanied children coming to the border. They didn't have the facilities for them. These kids are basically in, you know, sort of barely barely gussied up jail cells in the Border Patrol stations for more than 72 hours. It was becoming complete uh, disaster. And now they're mobilising FEMA to get more facilities. This is only increasing. So um, whatever word you want to use, I sort of, you know, I, I think it's kind of, I mean, for these kids, it's sure a crisis, you know, if you're in these. So, so like, it's sort of beside the point whether they want to use the word crisis or not. They have a crisis on their hands. And they're having to mobilise, you know, significant parts of the federal government to deal with it. And it's not, it's not like we're seeing it the end of the tunnel yet. There's much more to come as, as the weather gets warmer. I think if you were to see the next where the rubber hits the road controversy, it has to be, if you look at the, the, the tight margins in the House, the 50-50 in the Senate, and the fact is they want to do infrastructure. They feel they could lose the House in two years more than likely, especially with all the with the Republicans redistricting since they won all the state houses. They're going to look to do that and uh, H.R. 1. Do you expect some type of exemption on the filibuster or a talking filibuster as they try to get a simple majority to pass this radical legislation? Well, it- it's not really an exaggeration to say that the answer to so many questions now, you know, as it relates to big picture legislation going forward and the way the Senate operates, depends on the question of whether Joe Manchin, you know, can be taken at his word. Joe Manchin has said very clearly and unequivocally 
that he will not get rid of the legislative filibuster. You know, he, there was this whole thing, oh, did he leave some room open on the Sunday shows? No, you've got to understand, Joe Manchin is not someone who is, like, going into these Sunday show appearances with talking points. He's very uncorralled, uh, fairly unstaffed, and, and goes into these things and effectively wings it. And then he, he did clarify a few days, no, 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 we need 60 votes to break the filibuster. You know, I'm not going to get rid of it. So the question is, can Joe Biden, or can Joe Manchin be taken at his word, or is our circumstances going to make him reverse himself? I don't know the answer to that question. I think his history suggests that once he makes a decision, even if it's a decision that doesn't necessarily, uh, not necessarily what you would expect, for example, he voted against Donald Trump's tax bill when it was extremely popular in West Virginia. You know, Trump was won West Virginia by 42 points. You know, he's made decisions in the past that you know, advisors to him have tried to suggest that he do the opposite, and he just sticks to his guns. So I think there's a decent chance Joe Manchin sticks to his guns and that they can't override the filibuster. And I've seen no indication from Manchin that he believes that HR1 is so important that uh, that it requires getting rid of the filibuster. I think if there was this piece of legislation that was called the Rescue West Virginia Bill, and it was you know rebuilding all of downtown West Virginia, then I might say, well, maybe he'll you know get rid of the filibuster for that. But I don't know that he'll do it for HR one because I've seen no evidence that Joe Manchin is pa- particularly passionate about the uh, voting rights issues that are covered in that bill. Very good point. Uh, I would add something else. While the, all these states are deciding to button up their mail-in voting, uh, maybe correct how many days you can vote ahead of time and count how many do you vote ahead of time, they're tightening up in maybe 30-plus states. H.R. 1 wants to loosen up and federalize these elections. These two ships are going to clash, don't you think? A hundred percent. But I don't see, like, again, like, H.R. 1 uh, obviously doesn't have a prayer of getting through uh, it's a binary choice. The only way it gets through is if Democrats uh, get rid of the legislative filibuster. And right now, Joe Manchin is squarely standing in the way of that. Here is what Stacey Abrams said yesterday about this on Meet the Press. Cut 33. I think the focus should be on protecting our democracy. We know that January 6th was the opening salvo in an attempt to roll us back to Jim Crow era. We are watching seven times the number of bills permeating across state legislatures than occurred in 2020 during election year. And we know that the U.S. Senate, much like the U.S. House, has the sole responsibility under the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution to regulate the time, place, and manner of elections. That is something that we have to accomplish. It would be best if it was done in concert with Republicans, as we have in times past, mm-hmm. when we had to confront our demons and do better by our people. And my deep hope is that we can get it done. But I would say that an exemption to the filibuster for the purposes of protecting our democracy is not only logical, it is fundamental to who we are. And Jonathan, you pick up on all this all the time. And I always see, I look for the buzz term, this exemption to the filibuster. I heard that two or mm-hmm. three times yesterday. What is an exemption mm-hmm. to the filibuster? So is that oh, where Manchin and others fit in? I've never heard of this. No. Well, well, no, it's the same. I mean, whatever you want to call it, they still have to uh, get rid of the legislative. Now, they say, just this once, you know, but everyone knows that once you open that uh, can of worms, you know, the, the can of worms can't ever be closed again. So, um, again, I haven't seen any indication that Manchin agrees with that idea. Okay. And, she, you know, that, that's her view, but it, it, as, at least – Again, if you take Joe Manchin at his word, and I, I have no reason not to at this point, um, he just he just fundamentally does not agree with that. You could follow Jonathan Swan at Jonathan 
Uh, Jonathan V. v. Swan. Jonathan V. Swan. Yeah, I was going to make sure that wasn't a typo. Jonathan yeah. V. Swan. So follow him on Twitter. Yeah. Jonathan, thanks so much. I appreciate you giving us some thanks, quality Brian. time. It's been too long. Of course. All right. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks. Go get it. one 408 7669 Your calls are next. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Of course, we have to also look to Central America and Mexico and the rest. The corruption, the violence, uh, all of that so bad. My most recent trip to the Northern Triangle, that would be Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, you saw the impact of the climate change, mind you. These people were leaving because of the drought. They couldn't farm, and they were seeking other ways to survive. So there are many reasons that go into this, but the fact is we have to deal with it uh, at the border. They always bring up climate change. Everybody brings up climate change. When there's a lot of rain, climate change. When there's a hurricane, it's climate change. Of course, before there were the combustion engine, but I heard, the, according to reports, there was storms and there were tornadoes ahead of time. But uh, they're coming here for a reason, and you got to get your butt. The State Department's got to get down there and deal with all three of those countries especially. They haven't even done that when it comes to legal immigration. Quick note. If, uh, if you're wondering how we're go- they're going to pay for this $1.9 trillion in spending, they're already preparing a huge tax increase uh, in, uh, in Joe Biden's White House. And in New York, they're planning on hitting, seven, uh, hitting uh, New York's richest with $7 billion in tax hikes. You know what happens when that happens? They go to Florida. When are they going to realize that? Al, listen on KDWN in Las Vegas. Hey, Al. Hey, how you doing, uh, Bob, Brian? Thanks for taking my call. Hey, listen, I wanted to um, uh, say about this uh, crisis at the border down in Mexico, down the southern border. First of all, there's a difference between economic asylum and political asylum. Most of the Mexican people don't don't um, uh, qualify for economic asylum because there's no political uh, uh crisis going down in Mexico. So I recommend that Biden send a boat down to Central America. If he's so gung-ho about buying votes, for uh, for his next campaign, send a boat down there. Take the pressure off the off the patrol uh, people on the border and stop funding the cartels. You know it would be great. Thanks, Al. It just it's a it's a win win for the cartels, and it's a lose lose for America. It's not fair to everybody else waiting in line to go and come into our country equally and fairly. It's not about having a big heart. It's having having using your big head. Makes sense, Scott WRCN on Long Island, Scott. Hey, how you you doing, Brian? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just was hearing about the whole Cuomo thing, and I think I personally am a fan of Cuomo, but I think that he should resign because these allegations. Scott, his whole staff is not showing up for work. He's on Long Island today. Not one politician would show up with him to examine the vaccine locations. He's an embarrassment to the party. He's a bully. He's arrogant. He's self-important. And he's got to go. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a sensational weekend. So glad you're here. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we got a big, a uh, lot going on. I think the, it's so interesting. You have this huge rescue package that passes. All the Sunday shows, I watch them all every Sunday. Not one Biden official on to take a bow. I mean, since when are they, I mean, Ron Klain can't get himself to a, uh, to a television. Now all you have to do is Skype. You can't have anybody, the Secretary of State, you can't get Susan Rice. I know she's a disaster, but uh, on interviews. But you can't get anybody to talk about it. Did anyone write it? You feel comfortable talking about it? So today they begin their Take a Bow tour, and the First Lady will be in New Jersey, uh, in Burlington, New Jersey, to discuss the American Relief Plan. Fantastic. Set, um, please set your clocks. That'll be in less than an hour. He, Joe Biden said he's going to sit down with George Stephanopoulos. That'll be Wednesday. The key with that is not the tough questions, the tough follow-up. Because when he talks to you in generalities, uh, we'll see if he has it together. That's a day in which I'm sure he's going to get a lot of sleep, I hope. And Joe Biden on Tuesday will be in Pennsylvania. Big, uh, a big trip there. And then Friday he'll be in Georgia, some battleground states. Meanwhile, Leader McCarthy is at the border because it is chaos there in El Paso. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The CDC is very well aware that data are accumulating, making it look more like three feet are okay under certain circumstances. I can assure you within a reasonable period of time, they will be giving guidelines according to the data that they have. Oh my goodness, I am so tired of these circuitous answers. New study at the University of Massachusetts shows you don't have to be six feet. You got to be three feet. Got it? That changes all school shutdowns. Don't tell me you don't have room in the classes. Now that is almost normal spacing between desks. Game on. Why won't he just say that? Florida and California, uh, we have the same situation there, have the same outcomes, totally different philosophies. One's all in school, California yet to be in school. And guess what? They opened up their gyms to 10%. Meanwhile, on the rescue package, it's fatally flawed. I think it could sink us. So does a guy named uh, Larry Summers, who is Treasury Secretary for Barack Obama. Number two. Calls for Governor Cuomo's resignation continue and new revelations about phone conversations by a Cuomo aide. Published reports say a top advisor the governor's vaccine czar may have crossed ethical lines in calls and lobbying local officials for support. Wow, Cuomo can't stay, but will he ever go? The Broadway bully sent out an ally to test loyalty. Now he's on Long Island where he tested the loyalty and not one politician showed up to back him. The one man that could take him down, Joe Biden. He punted. 161 lawmakers demand he resign. Number one. What the administration has inherited is a broken system at the border. The 11-year high uh, for crossings uh, without documentation of the border was in the middle of Trump's presidency. Joe Biden inherited a huge mess on immigration. No, he didn't. Trump's getting the blame for Biden's border bungle. Not kidding. Thousands upon thousands are streaming in illegally. We're determined uh, who are we are undermanned at the border. We have no facilities at the border. America sees this 
and no one believes it that it is not a catastrophe. Joe Biden, time to buy in. And I'll tell you the truth, he's got to have bought, uh, bought in because he put FEMA down there. FEMA's in charge of making tents and rooms for these kids. Evidently, in law, you got to get the kids out and about. Single When kids uh, arrive at the border unaccompanied as a minor, got to get them out in 72 hours. Hasn't been close. There are now 9,457 unaccompanied minors at our border. That is up 61% just from January. There's a 144% increase in, um, in minors overall at the border. This is just Texas. Now there's a 230% up in uh, raise in adults at the border in February. Are you kidding me? How could this not be a crisis? Of course it's a crisis. And we come back, uh, my exclusive interview with Cardinal Dolan. He's got a lot on his plate trying to keep the Catholic Church going in a time in which collections have dropped because people don't show up uh, because they're told not to because of the pandemic. And I have a chance to do something and go inside the story that not many people are focusing on, and that is why Catholic schools, parochial schools, are staying open through the pandemic when they keep telling the public schools is too dangerous. So I went with the Cardinal to a public school to find out the secret to their success. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, on Friday, I had to miss the show for a good reason. Cardinal Dolan, uh, but who, by the way, I found out, he's got a, and as you may have predicted, he got a ton of votes for Pope. And, you know, he and the diocese has been up and back against the wall like every religious institution and most others during the pandemic because no one's coming, showing up with collections or doing uh, their masses uh, streaming. Now it's about half full, I guess, uh, in New York City. But one thing they had to do, make sure to do, they had to keep their schools going. While we're debating and talking to frustrated parents about why they can't get their kids back in school in these inner cities, Catholic schools said, we don't have a choice. We'll lose everything if we don't. So they did it safely. They got the parents involved. And I wanted to give it. I wanted to highlight this and how they did it, and find out how they did it. So I went way uptown in New York, and Cardinal Dolan met us there. He said he hadn't been up to the school that was founded in 1925, the Good Shepherd School. And I wanted to find out what they did and what their approach was. So I was able to sit down and talk to him for about 20 minutes, and I wasn't able to put it on television. But I want to let you hear the whole thing on radio. So part one and part two. Here's my interview. Even if you're not Catholic, you'll love a religious leader who wants the kids to learn. How about that? Let's listen together. We're looking at the Good Shepherd School. What a history. We see on the side of the building, 1925, uh-huh. which means it was here during the Depression. Yep. After the Depression. Yep. World War II. After World War II, the revitalization, the baby boom, 9-11. It has lasted. And now we have the pandemic. Yeah. And don't forget the huge demographic shifts in this neighborhood. So when this building opened up, when this parish opened in 1925, when this school opened in 25, it was all Irish. Then it went Italian. Now it's all Hispanic, okay? And the church keeps up. The school keeps up, okay? Because we're not museums. We're not locked into place. We try, we're, we're always keeping up with, with our folks. So that's the other demographic uh, shift. So, but look, it, if, when people say to me, what, what makes your schools tick? What's the, what's the, the reason for this magic? 
It's that grit. It's that resilience. It's that steadfastness. We don't have any, we literally have to pinch every penny. We literally have to count on our, our, our grandmas to come up and, and help at recess. We literally have to help, count on our dads to come up and paint the classrooms, okay? Because, because we don't have money to burn. We don't have a blank check to spend. I think that's part of the, I think that's part of the magic of the school. So when you feel people put in money, have skin They in the are game. heavenly invested. You know it? They are heavenly invested. This becomes a home. This becomes, there's nothing tougher than I have to do than close a school. It's even tougher than closing a parish, okay? Because most of the time in the parish, the people have kind of made the choice and moved elsewhere. In a school, you've all, you're always dug into the neighborhood, and to announce you've got to close a school is devastating. Those kids love the place, and they got friends. they got neighborhood. They love their teachers, the priests, the parish. It is very, very difficult. They did a study, you might not know it, and they said that Catholic schools... Uh, public schools that are around Catholic schools in the same neighborhood are more likely to stay open because yeah. Catholic schools are setting the example and the bar. What does that tell you? Well, what I'll tell you, and I'll apply that a little more broadly, Brian, it tells us the competition is good. It's, it's, it's what we call the magic of the marketplace. It, it's also been shown that in states that have tuition vouchers so that parents get help with sending their kids to the school of their choice, the public schools do better, okay? A monopoly is never good, all right? So the monopoly of a government uh, school system where it's the only one in town, right. uh-oh, that's not going to be good, okay? When you got healthy competition, when you begin to cooperate together, that's better. All the boats rise. Some people watching this on the outside saying, here's a cardinal who doesn't worry about money, vow of poverty or whatever, and now you're saying the marketplace is good and it has a oh, place. Yeah. Yeah. No, the magic of the marketplace. Sure, the, the marketplace breeds responsibility. It, 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 it breeds hard work and thrift and generosity. Wow. Very interesting. Something about the curriculum, too. Sure. In a time in which in this city, they're saying no longer saying mom and dad, and they're talking about uh, uh, race-oriented curriculum. How does the Catholic school respond to that? What, for, for in the Catholic schools, what is normative is not political correct, correctness. What is normative is not the editorial page of left-wing newspapers. What is normative is what God has told us about the human person, all right? And that's what we stake our claim on. We haven't talked about that, and that, of course, is the real key to Catholic schools, is that God is a part of it. Our parents will say, um, I tell my kids, you go to school and you take it seriously because school is going to give you everything you need for a, a productive, happy life. And if they go to school and never hear of God, what am I saying to them? God isn't important. Prayer isn't important. Faith isn't important. At Catholic school, they hear about God every day. Or they hear about prayer every day. They hear about God's will and God's teaching every day. That, by the way, is not just religious. That's very American. That's very American. George Washington said, this, uh, this experiment in democracy cannot survive unless we're based on a, a vibrant religious community. So Catholic schools have been part of that from the beginning. Cardinal, uh, you just brought up George Washington. There's almost a war on American history. How has the Catholic Church responded to this war in American history and the taking down of statues? No, you know, uh, uh, Catholics believe in the, uh, the power 
of what we've received and the power of the given. There are certain things just given to us. There are certain things that are that that are real. We 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 like we like to be real, okay? So we don't we don't change things that we've been given. We don't change things that are part of common sense. We find that the way we've been raised, well, there's always got to be some correction and repentance. The wisdom in which we've been raised is usually very, very good. And to tamper with that is not good, all right? We got better things to do in our classrooms than trying to keep up with the chic, elite ideology of the day. The wokeism. Yeah, we got better things to do. Have you ever used the word woke? No, I don't like to wake up in the morning, but I haven't used woke. That's right. So, but George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, you get, you see their pictures as much as you see of Jesus and Mary. But they're not perfect people. They're not perfect, and neither am I. Okay, neither am I. And so we learn that, and that's what school teaches us that that these kids, they're saying, ah, what, what? I'm having trouble studying. I'm having trouble behaving. I'm having trouble staying quiet in the classroom. But those are imperfections, and I got to rise above that and learn. And they do it. And they look up and they see people who had flaws too. And uh, my God, we got, we, we got schools named after St. Peter. They look up at a picture of St. Peter and said, good Lord in heaven, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. And yet he's a saint. Well, we're teaching people that you rise above your flaws and your problems. And, and, and you reach that sense of, of, of perfection. So you're telling me that these kids more than likely will not grow up to take down statues of Andrew Jackson or George Washington. I sure or hope not. You see, you see, we, we uh, Catholics are very much into a reverence for the past. Tradition is very important to us. With our Jewish neighbors, we could sing tradition, okay, because it's very, very important. And and for for us, what's gone before is probably one of the greatest ways that we learn to prepare ourselves what's going to be in the future. And if we erase that, boy, we have lost one of the best teachers around. Does it worry you? It does worry me. Sure it does. Sure it does. It's, it's not good. This is, a, this is almost another version of book burning. You know, remember we've been through book burning, and that's never any good. Uh, and, and now to say that let's destroy and let's knock down uh, things in the past. Let's use them to teach, okay? I, this is a number of years ago. I was taking a walk in the city up at Columbus Circle. I see Christopher Columbus. I see a teacher. I don't think she was from a Catholic school. I think it was a public school with her kids around telling about Christopher Columbus. And she said, you know, two students, there's, a, there's some things that Christopher Columbus did that we wish he wouldn't have. And which now we look back and say, oh boy, that was the wrong thing to do. But in general, he did great things. And we celebrate all the good that he did while learning from the mistakes that he made. That's education. That's culture. You say through, uh, through crises often is opportunity. Mm-hmm. So is this an opportunity for parents who look around and feel very unsettled by the attack on American uh, values, on American history, on discipline of the classroom, not staying open? Is this a window for the parochial schools? Yeah, but you know, Brian, we don't, we don't want our success to come at the expense of others. You know, I got, you, you know, thir- uh, 70% of my kids, Catholic schools, are in, uh, 70% of Catholic kids are in public schools. I want them to work. I want them to be good. A big chunk of the teachers in public schools, great teachers, are committed Catholics. I want those schools to work. We want to cooperate with them. I want to see them flourish. It's good, it's good for the culture. It's good for, it's good for our kids, our teachers, our community. 
So I hope those parents, boy, are they ever welcome at our schools. And if they ever want to say, I think my kids are going to be better trained there, come on in. But I'd like them to work within their schools to say enough is enough. We don't want this to happen to our kids. Are all these kids Catholic? No. What, uh, what is, uh, Mick, what's our, our proportion? About 35% are non-Catholic. 35% are non-Catholic. So one-third of the kids are not Catholic in this school. There'd be other schools, especially in African-American neighborhoods, where 90% of the kids would. would. We, you know the old saying, Brian, we don't educate kids because they're Catholic. We educate them because we are. And that's part of our, that's part of our charism. So we don't ask to see baptismal certificates. We love to educate anybody. And just a quick look at the teachers. You, you're noticing the teachers. You watch them teach and you walk in. What are your observations about what these teachers are asked to do normally and then now? Well, it, normally, because except for this past year, I spent a lot of time in our schools. I always sense uh, uh, that they have a pride about them. There's an excitement. There's a joy. They know, they know their kids. They love their kids, okay? Now that's, boy, now that's pumped up on steroids because uh, the, these teachers, you saw them. They got to bounce around because they've got the different groups. They got to always be attentive to those who are live streaming. It's like they're, uh, you, you know, they're like the shortstop in a ball game, wondering where the next uh, hit's going to come from. What side of the field should I cover? So I, my admiration for them is intensified. Right. And um, the teachers are asked to do more. Do they have pride in the fact that they're here and, and working through this? I think they do. You know, we have always said that our teachers, it's not a job, it's a vocation. And, uh, and we've also said that our teachers are real heroes. And we've also said that our teachers are frontline workers. When we were talking about the vaccine, we said... The teachers deserve it first because they're frontline workers. They are, they are with vulnerable people every day. So our teachers are proving that. They're saying, let us back. No more than a doctor could say, I guess I can't go to work today because I'm going to get sick. A teacher can't say that either. I've got to be with my kids. And when it comes to the teachers, too, their head's got to be on a swivel. Uh, when I was in that school, the Good Shepherd School, I'm sure teachers can relate to this if they're on breakdown and listening. They have to go look at the flat screen where there's a bunch of boxes, Zoom call, and they're able to look at their and try to keep an eye on the students at home because it's a hybrid situation. And there's only five or six, but you got to make sure they feel engaged. At the same time, look at the other kids that are looking at the other kids at home and keep it all going. So it is really uh, much more difficult, especially to teach at home. The teachers don't like it. I just wish the unions would get out of the way and let the public schools do what the private have done and find a way to make it work for everyone because the numbers are so low, there's no excuse to stay home. More with Cardinal Dole when we return. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
So it's so hard in the middle of a pandemic when you lose your job to say, okay, I got to pay for my kid to go back to school. And they don't go back to school. They sit on a laptop at home. And then you got to quit your job if you get one back because you got to provide daycare. If they're if they're of that age, obviously, maybe 7th and 8th and up, you don't have to deal with that. But I talked to, evidently, this number's real. Two million moms have had to quit their job because school was not in-person learning. That's what I talked to Cardinal Dolan about, the, the money it costs, uh, why make the investment in primary education, and what, what uh, Catholic schools are up against. Since 1970, there's twice as many Catholic schools in this country, parochial schools in this country, uh, in 1970 as they are today. So here's more of our conversation with Cardinal Timothy Dolan. You talked about the money. There's money put aside in taxpayer money for kids to go to school. And if those schools are going to be closed... Do you believe that those families should have an opportunity to take that money and put it to schools like yours that are open? Definitely. This is a philosophical question that has guided our republic for centuries, that the education of children first and foremost belongs to the parent, okay? Now, the parents often cooperate with the government in providing schools. Bravo. But the people, the parents are the first educators, all right? They should have the right to decide where their money that they pay in taxes, govern, you know, Ronald Reagan said there's no such thing as government money. It's our money that the government uses for the common good. And what's more common good than, the, than education? So why wouldn't the parents have the right to say, I want the money to follow the kids, and I want my kids to be a good shepherd? And couldn't that money? And a tuition tax credit does that. A tax voucher does that. We have 36 states in the union have it. We don't here in New York, nor do we have a good federal one. We do it in universities, Brian. I mean, we we have the, 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 uh, the government provides scholarships and grants, Pell grants to universities. Why not do it to the schools without which... Kids couldn't go to universities or grade schools. Well, very true. Uh, you're, oftentimes, I don't want to get personal, but oftentimes these teachers get paid less they, and have less yeah. security, right? We work very hard to increase the pay of our, of our teachers. We, we want to, okay? It's, it's because it is very, very hard work, and they are not paid on the level of the government schools. We, we constantly want to get them back up there, and we're working hard to do that, but we just can't. And if we raise our, our teachers' salaries too much, that's a further drain on the school, meaning, uh-oh, we might not be able to stay open. Our teachers know that. And, and, uh, and most of the time, they are extraordinarily reasonable and prudent. Yes, legitimately, they say, wow, injustice, can we work with you in getting more compensation? And do we ever want to do that? But they also realize... Um, if, if we push too hard and if we get too strident in our demands, it's only going to hurt these kids that we love. It's almost like you're in it together. Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah, yeah. Right. Enrollment's down. Since the pandemic hit, enrollment's down in parochial schools 6.4%. All right. Our, the pandemic began a year ago, and our schools took a hit because parents were unable to re-enroll about 6%. That's why we had to make a neuralgic decision to close a, a dozen or so of our schools. Now the good news is that since we reopened in September, our enrollment is up 5.5%, which almost compensates for that 6%. And next year looks even better. So this might be this might be a great gift to us. So you have public school kids transferring in? They are. The parents are saying, we need our kids in school. And not only do they get them here as an emergency, they say, hey, we kind of like this. Can we stay? You bet you can. Talk about ripple effect. 
two million moms had to quit their jobs because kids are remote learning or they just are too young, they got to be the day. Sure, sure. It's, no, it's, it, the, as people way smarter than I'll ever be have said, if you want to get back to normal, which everybody is saying, we need to get society back to normal. The best way to do that is to get our schools open because that helps the rhythm of life, which America depends upon. That means folks can go out to work. Uh, that means uh, uh, that just means that we get back to the regimen and the flow of life that makes us the great nation that we are. What do you say to people who are fighting to get back into churches? Are they acting irresponsibly by asking to do something that might put people's health in, at risk? It depends on the way they do it. Our people will say, uh, no, we, our people say, oh, we know we got to be careful. And boy, just like our schools, when I go to, when I go to a parish on, uh, on a weekend, I can't believe how, how clear they are, how they sanitize everything or all the precautions. And all they're saying is, no, we know morally we have to obey the prudent guidelines. We just don't want them to be so restrictive. If I can go bowling, if I can go to the beauty parlor, if I can go shop, Costco. can't I go to church? Okay, yeah. that's all they're saying. So um, just don't be saying the church has got to close. And thank God uh, that's now our people are coming back. We're at half capacity, and I'd like to see it go higher because each Sunday we have more and more people coming back. And Holy Week and Easter could be a real big, uh, I hope. Uh, what are they telling you about Easter? They're t well, we're, we're waiting to see. And see, we were, we were kind of ready. Remember, Brian, last June or July when they said, okay, we, you, let's reopen. Let's reopen the churches and let's be at 25% capacity. So our priests were extraordinarily innovative. And they said, okay, we're going to be ready for 25% capacity. We're going to have a second site ready if, if too many people. So they're used to that. So when Easter comes, I think our pastors are going to say, Come on back if we're restricted to two-thirds. Like, look, at the cathedral, it's easy. We got, we're at 50% capacity. That's 1,000 people at, at St. Patrick's Cathedral. The smaller churches have it tough. But if they're ready for second sites, you know we were just in the auditorium here. They have a second site here on Sunday Mass. So if the church gets at 50% capacity, the ushers are saying, hey, folks, we're filled up in here, but good news. In five minutes, Mass is starting in the auditorium. Come on over. So our, our priests will be ready for that for Holy Week and Easter. And last one, you seem to love this. You seem to love being around the kids. Oh, I, 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 you know, when I, so the happiest years of my priesthood was when I would have been a parish priest at three parishes back home in St. Louis. Two of those three parishes, Immaculata and Little Flower, had great schools. And I was there every day. I would, and uh, I, I just love being, I just love being with the kids. You saw the priests here, Father Tom and Father Mike. The, the kids know them. They're around. Uh, no, it's a, it's a, I love it. And they look at you like a rock star. What's oh, that like? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well look, that's, uh, I'm just happy I got more attention than you did. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more. Can I just... <laughs> All right. Way to go, Brian. Thank right. you. Um, our, our message would be we're in this together. We are in this together. Uh, we love your kids. We teachers and the church love your kids. Your kids are our kids as well. And it's one of the highest tributes that you can give us when you entrust the treasure of your life, your kids, to us to educate. And thanks for doing it. And by rewarding them, you opened up your doors. I said, we, heard, we listened to you. And when you said, please, please, please open up, we did. 
And there you go. Uh, that is uh, up close and personal what it's like, even though you could sense that not only is he uh, a person of esteem in the church, he knows business. He knows sales. He knows people. Uh, he understands kids. He understands teachers. He's got a, a humility about him. And there's a reason why he got where he is. I don't really know how to make your way up to the highest level in church, but part of it is knowing your stuff, and part of it is knowing people. This guy loves being around people. He doesn't judge anybody, whoever it is. No, and you see it in, I mean, all the you know stuff we saw that didn't air in the package, you know, we got to see here. But, I mean, just going up to all the kids, talking to them, you know, challenging them, write my name, do this, you know, just really interacting with them. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, yeah, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a bad day. That's the one thing I've noticed about him. Uh, having had a chance to uh, see him in all different things, but he also has a game face. Like when you would talk, when you start talking about nuts and bolts, you see like his face. He becomes a business person. I need money to do this because he's got to walk up and make the decision to his building and say, "We're abandoning this. This church is not enough. Uh, not enough people are going. We got to we got to close this." It's been very tough, and especially now, you're cutting everybody's budget. Even though you're this esteemed religious character. Um, Cardinal Dolan, you have to you, you have to go up to these church and say the money's being cut off. This is going to have to stop. This you're no longer going to be able to provide these services. So there's a business side to the church that he seems to thrive in, or else he wouldn't have gotten that place. There's a lot of responsibility. He does say that uh, you have to fight for the money when they say uh, money goes to these schools. You have to fight for it. And he did say that Senator Schumer's been really good to the Catholic schools. And I said that's why he's on the dais uh, at the Al Smith dinner. Right? And he said, absolutely. Exactly. Right. Next to me. I got a chance to talk to Chuck Schumer. And you actually said he was, it was enjoyable. Yeah, it's a very engaging. Like, he doesn't have small talk. It's always like, what is with you people? Why do you do this? You got it wrong. Trump's over and it's over his head. Blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that's, that's his, his whole life is this. But I do believe there's an excellent chance he's no longer a majority leader shortly. But we'll see. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll find out if there's more to know and so much more. Uh, Thanks for listening to that. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here's the thing you need to know about man. Don't give him a reason to be looking around. Hello? Why is it so many times that women, after they get married, let themselves go? Now look, I'm not saying every woman can be the epic trophy wife of all time, like Melania Trump. Now, most women can't be trophy wives, but you maybe a participation trophy. I don't know, but all I can say is not everybody looks like that. Amen. But you don't need to look like a butch either. But you say, how can I do that? All right, if you were sitting in my office, here's the first thing I'd say to you. And boy, I hate to say that this is why I don't do marital counseling anymore. And that is weight control. <laughs> do you believe this? I thought this was an Impractical Jokers skit, or certainly I sent it to uh, James Murray, Murray from Impractical Jokers. I said, if you guys did something like this, I would say this is within your format, but it might even be over the top. This is a legitimate pastor, Pastor Stuart Allen Clark, telling women to look pretty so their husbands don't cheat on them. Meanwhile, this guy's 100 pounds overweight, right? Well, that is the double standard. I mean, it also goes for men, I would say. I don't think he's wrong. He could have probably not said it the way he did. You should still care about how you present yourself a little bit. But men, too. You don't want to marry someone who looks great, and then he gets this big old beer belly and looks gross. Right, but as a pastor, 
How, yeah. how deep into your list of topics are you where you're like, let me do the, the fat woman stuff? I mean, come on. Agreed. But I will say, none of his sermons have probably ever been talked about as much as this one. Well, uh, it turns out. Now, what kind of punishment has he gotten now? Um, I guess he has a leave of absence. Is that true? Um, and they, the uh, First General Baptist Church, um, they released a statement saying Clark's sermon was not consistent with <laughs> the positions and values of our organization. Right. <laughs> and there are no participation trophies. Yeah. Just uh, Next. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, Drew Brees, one of the finest quarterbacks of his generation, a certain Hall of Famer, has what everyone predicted was going to come true. After 20 years in the NFL, he is going to retire. 15 years with the Saints to the day he joined the Saints from the Chargers. So, how does he retire? Listen to what his kids, got four kids, three boys and one girl. Listen to how they announced their dad's retirement. After 15 years in the Saints and 20 years in the NFL, our dad is finally going to retire. So that is the best retirement ever, right? I think it is the best retirement announcement, 100%. I heard that earlier today, and it just makes you smile. It was so great. I don't know. It was, it was perfect. So he's big into New Orleans. After 20 years of player, he writes, 15 years of saying it's time I retire from the game of football. Each day I poured my heart and soul into your quarterback. I exhausted myself to give everything I had to the Saints organization, my team, and the great city of New Orleans, which is true. He drafts by San Diego. He goes there. But then they draft Phillip Rivers, and they said, you know, Drew Brees, you're expendable. You're good, but you're expendable. And he got hurt, and he ends up being four times the quarterback anyone thought. They thought he was too small in Texas to play in Texas. He ended up going to Purdue being a star, and got drafted in the same draft, I think it was Michael Vick. And man, did he outlast Michael Vick. Pretty impressive. Next. Boxing great Marvelous Hagler dies at 66. This is stunning. Hagler Hearns, one of the best fights you ever see, just lasted three rounds. His wife Kay announced his death on Facebook. Quote, I am sorry to make this sad announcement today. Unfortunately, my beloved husband, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, passed away unexpectedly at his home in New Hampshire. Um, word is that something to do with the vaccine he got uh, in Italy. I don't, don't see this anywhere, but I'd be very curious to see if that is, in fact, true. No one even knew what he was sick of. Born in Newark, New Jersey, moved over to Brockton, Massachusetts, discovered his amateur bite by the Petronelli brothers, Goody and Pat, and then through a bunch of hard work, he becomes middleweight champ of the world, holds on to it for a long time, who's a controversial decision to Sugar Ray Leonard, had some incredible fights along the way. I got to get cause of death down. I was going to say, whenever you say, I've seen, I don't see it here, but I heard, and you just say something ridiculous. It always makes, you know, a producer's heart not skip a beat. Eric, could you put down the board <laughs> and just look it up, if you don't mind? Uh, next, more royal talk, more drama. Get this. Guess who's paying the price now for Meghan Markle's remarks? Pierce Morgan called her out. We remember that. Pierce Morgan gets some blowback saying that it's making a racist for calling Meghan Markle uh, a liar because she accused the royal family or somebody in the royal family of racism because you want to know how dark the baby's skin was going to be when he was actually with the royal family. We know that Pierce Morgan doubted that. Sharon Osbourne defended Pierce Morgan, and now the show that she's on called The Talk is on a short hiatus to figure out what to do with Sharon Osbourne. Tell me if you have a problem with Sharon Osbourne defending her buddy, Pierce Morgan. I know he has a right to say what he feels, 
on the interview as we have a right to say and everybody has a right to say what they feel with freedom of speech. Did I like everything he said? Did I agree with what he said? No. Because it's his opinion, it's not my opinion. Uh, I don't get what kind of reaction is this? You suspend a whole show? I agree with you, but she also made comments, which I read it, but I just don't have it in front of me to quote. But essentially, she said she felt like she was basically duped by the producer. She said never had she not been involved in producing a segment before, and they asked her eight minutes before they were going on the air if she was okay talking about Piers Morgan. She said yes. So then they talk about it, and she says her piece, and then she looks over, and her co-host basically has a card with talking points. So she which, did, and she checked it. She says it, and she goes, did I say that right? Yeah, so... That was she, Underwood. So she... Sharon, it sounds like she feels like the producer set her up. So I right. think that's part of it. That could be it. Uh, the other thing is she's defending uh, Pierce Morgan. I don't think Pierce Morgan said anything racist. No. I, don't think, no I, I watched the whole thing. I watched his walk-off. He's going to end up... He's got, like, two major job offers since. Sharon Osbourne pays the price. It's almost like the, the host of The Bachelor. He's trying to qualify the candidate's statement, and next thing you know, he's lost his job. 100%. I will, just to go off, I will say Chris Harrison's interview, though, on GMA did not help him in any way, shape, or form. I didn't see it. It, it was, was just, he, he looked like he was being held hostage, like reading talking points about saying an apology. So if you're going to go out and apologize, be sincere. Don't make it sound like you're reading something. Next, 150 spring breakers arrested in Miami amid chaos. A couple of cops were hurt. People are partying like there's there's no pandemic. Uh, 30 more people were arrested. So a lot of things going wrong in Miami. I guess kids aren't keeping their distance. But they're getting the money from uh, tourists because Florida's open. I know. But I saw the mayor. We should have him on tomorrow. Uh, the mayor, who I interviewed for a feature on Fox Nation, came on. He doesn't like him. He's disagreeing with the governor a little bit on lifting up restrictions. So I want to get to see where he stands. They're both Republicans. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.